Chairman, Honorable Mr. Ashraf, Dr. Sahabdeen, distinguished members of the audience, ladies and gentlemen. Though I was not well, I made it a point to travel last night to Colombo because this was a function that I did not want to miss for two specific reasons. One, because of my personal friendship with the late Mr. A. M. A. Aziz and also because the golden anniversary of a great foundation like the Muslim Scholarship Fund deserves the fullest praise and to participate in a ceremony of this nature gives the participants a sense of belonging to one of the great institutions that have grown up in Sri Lanka. I think it is said in the Tirukural that it gives great pleasure to parents to hear of their children praised in the assemblies of men. Changing it, I would say, how happy the young Mr. Aziz would feel that his parents are honored in this august assembly as well as in the country. Mr. Aziz, as you all know, grew up in Jaffna, had a full education, imbibed the Tamil classics, but the society he knew and cherished no longer exists in the North. Had Mr. Aziz lived, it were added to his sorrow to see that full intellectual life in which he grew up has been destroyed by narrow exclusiveness. Mr. Aziz entered the university. He distinguished himself in studies and he followed up abroad the extensive foundations he had obtained in Sri Lanka. He entered the Sri Lanka civil service. As Dr. Sahabdeen pointed out, it was no mean honor at that time. Intellectually, in personality and in contribution, he adorned the service in the elite echelons of the British period. During the war years as emergency AGA Kalmune, he took an interest in the people he was called upon to administer. He saw their weaknesses and he attempted to overcome the lacuna they were suffering from 
namely lack of education. Talking of lack of education, I'd like to mention a little story. Some years ago, when I served in the Gaul district, I went for a Muslim function in one of the outlying towns and I was talking to some people and I mentioned the value of education because by that time I had come to realize the great work Mr. Aziz was doing. And this old Muslim gentleman told me, Ani mahatyo nikang inta, siwadei handro matric pass keruad. Jesus wants a interview with Hagegatad. Mahatyagi Buduhandro, BA Paskirwad. Magi Nabituma, PhD Gatad. Ani Mahatyo Munadame Katakarania Diapenegan. I years later told this story to Mr. Aziz. I thought he would be amused as I had been amused. But he was very serious. He said, This is what I am trying to overcome. A complete inability in the well-to-do sections of our community to realize the value of education. Education will not only improve the individual, it will have a complete impact on the entire community. This is what inspired Mr. inspired Dr. Khalil and before that Mr. Jaya. Talking of Mr. Jaya, I must pay a tribute for he is the one minority leader who consistently supported the struggle for independence without commit, may, making any demands for minority exclusiveness. Had he not given support to Mr. D.S. Senanayaka, the demands that were made at that time might have found a ready response among the British. Zahira had a tradition and that tradition owes much to people like the great Egyptian leader exiled to Sri Lanka, Arabi Pasha, after the defeat at Tel El Kabir. Supported by Siddhi Lebbe, Babichi Marika and others, they drove hard towards the education of the Muslim community. But that was not enough, for education at that time was paid education. Mr. Aziz realized the shortcomings and therefore he embarked on a scheme of funding the education of the deserving Muslim youth, boys and girls, so that natural talent would flower for the benefit of their own community and the ultimate good of the whole country. Muslim education and learning was referred to by Dr. Sahabdeen. He mentioned Cordova and Alhambra and he wondered what had happened. That was not all. What happened to the learning in Bukhara? What happened to the learning in uh, Baghdad? In Baghdad the only remaining thing is the 
Library of Jailani Abdul Khadr. In Spain, religious fanatism drove out the Muslims. Because up to that time, no educated man's library was less than 20,000 volumes. Great figures like Bin Sina, the father of European medicine, scholars, poets, all flourished in Spain. But that civilization was destroyed. After that arose the great civilization in Baghdad that the Mongols destroyed. Not only that, subsequently came the great civilizations of Bukhara and Samarkand which the Turks destroyed. So the whole history of Muslim culture and education and learning has had its ups and downs. But total commitment to the exhortations, injunctions of the Holy Prophet to the Muslims, they sought knowledge even to the borders of China. They wanted learning. They felt that that was the only thing that would elevate the community. It is only learning, the Prophet felt, would justify the involvement of the totality of mankind and through the totality of mankind the fundamental belief for the Muslims in the unity of God. Many, many centuries ago, the Muslims advanced through Spain and the Pyrenees. They were only 50 miles away from Paris when they were defeated at the Battle of Poitiers. Had they won that battle, as Lord Curzon said, Arab divines would have been preaching in the cloisters of Oxford and Cambridge. But that tradition of knowledge went on in Alexandria where the conquering Arabs came in touch with Greek studies, with Platonic studies, with the ideals and also with the pragmatic approach of Aristotle. It is that knowledge that went with the Arabs to Sicily where Frederick II became the pupil of Arab divines and the Hohenstaufen Emperor took that knowledge across the whole of Christian Europe. The Muslim empire in India was itself rich. The Mughals tried their best to encourage learning. But unfortunately, with all goodness of heart, the call for exclusiveness of faith led Aurangzeb to attack the heritage of the Mughals. And he found an easy excuse in what he considered and the Muslim divines considered reactionary doctrines 
of akbar in the dini ilahi. The Mughal Empire collapsed, not through its own weakness, but through the machinations of the British in Bengal. Odium was cast on Surajuddaula. The story of the black hole of Calcutta was perpetrated and the Muslims were held to be backward and dangerous which found flower in the great mutiny of 1857. But after that, seeing the difficulties of his community, so Sayyid Ahmad Khan commenced on the University of Aliga, a center of rich studies, studies that have flown out of that city and reached the whole of India and also joined hands with the missionary activities of the Chistia order that spread through India through love and kindness and understanding from Ajmer and which found an echo in Nagur and talking of Nagur I must say I should talk much with Mr. Aziz about Nagur which he had knew and also the Sufi saint Ketel Bawa whom he also knew well. I used to tease Mr. Aziz and say that he is one of the rare examples of a religious man committed to a secular life. He said that is not strange. That is part of our Muslim tradition. For our Prophet did not believe that retreat from public life was the only way for spiritual salvation. Mr. Aziz made a distinct role in Zahira. And later on he gave up educational activities for the richer, more useful role in the Senate. Talking of his role in the Senate, I must mention that there is something which ought to be studied. He had a solution for the school's takeover problem. No one listened to him and he wanted a compromise so that every religion would feel that they were not excluded, but no religion would be given the right through education and through assistance to in, in, engage in the conversion of children away from their own faith. Here the Muslims are fortunate. From their little age in the madrasas, they have been taught an uncompromising adherence to their own faith. And they are the group that very seldom falls victim to the wiles of conversion. The Muslims have had a long history in Sri Lanka. In actual fact, before the Yemeni and other Arabs from Oman who had settled here accepted the new faith that came, 
There were large sections of Yemenis and Omanis settled in Sri Lanka. I remember recently, I wrote something to the papers which had been inspired by what Dr. Panuitana told me, that the Yemeni impact on Sri Lanka was very heavy. That the stonework the Sri Lankans learnt were derived from Yemen. And I wondered, in an article I wrote, whether five centuries later when the Mahavansa was written, they did not make a mistake and categorize all invaders as Tamils. And whether Elara was not really Elal, the guide, noble one, a Yemeni leader who taught much to the little island in which he came to rule. The contact between the Muslims and the Sri Lankans have to be studied from the Gulf of the Red Sea, from the Persian Gulf, right through to Canton. It was Muslim traders who established the new unity in South Asian waters. The great Chinese general who took away our king, one of our kings from Kote and who established 50 years of Chinese domination in Sri Lanka and pushed on to Mogadishu in Somalia was Ching Ho, a Muslim general who ruled in Canton. The Muslims are now, as was pointed out, in every learned profession. They are in medicine, in law, and the private bar, in accountancy, in the university. They reflect a growing elevation of Muslim educated alumni who are making a contribution to the growth and development of our island home. You are aware of the great figures in Muslim history. The contributions made in Spain, where Muslim divines linked up with the Jewish scholar Maimonides, where Bin Sina gave the foundations of European medicine, where Al-Biruni and Bim Batuta all helped the development of geographical knowledge and how the knowledge of the Kaldanians and even the Indians were fused to by the mathematical genius of Muslim scholars in the field of mathematics, arithmetic and optics and also how Algebra gave his name to the science of Algebra. The future before the Muslims is great. As Dr. Sahabdin pointed out, they are a plural community and that is something they should not forget. For it is in their plurality that they will justify the belief of your Nabi that there is no compulsion in religion. There may be unbelievers 
there be people who reject some of your fundamental concepts, but they are all, according to your principles, the children of a common mankind or humankind. And it has never been said that Muslim charity did not extend to the non-Muslims. If you go to Dawtagaha Mosque, you will see people who have come for food on Fridays and they do not subscribe to the faith of Islam. They are poor people, fed by Muslim donors. The charity of the Muslims knows no bounds. The right hand is not expected to know what the left hand gives. And in many cases, an injunction of the Prophet is followed. When debtors are completely freed from their debt, and that is why I say that in good works lies the core of the Islamic citizen. And Mr. Aziz fulfills that. It is said in one of the surahs, proclaim good tidings to those who have faith and do good works. They shall dwell in gardens watered by running streams. And again he said, they that give their wealth for the cause of Allah are like a grain of, of corn which brings forth seven years, each bearing a hundred grains. Charity, the art of giving, these were inculcated in the Muslim community. That is why wherever they go, the Muslims build up friendship to the credit of the Muslim community in Sri Lanka and of the Muslims abroad, I must say, that there is not a single Muslim NGO in Sri Lanka that has made any step towards upsetting the government and people of this country. No Muslim has got involved in terrorist activities against the majority community and as a Sinhalese and as a Buddhist. I hold my hand out in friendship to one of the finest communities whom we are privileged to have with us in Sri Lanka. Thank you. Salam alaikum.